Former White House physician Ronnie Jackson is sounding the alarm on President Joe Biden's health. Ronnie Jackson tweets out, quote, I served as White House physician under three presidents. I've seen what it takes physically and mentally to do the job. I can tell you right now that the way Biden is hiding from the public is a major red flag. Something's not right. But in fact, as far as the liberal establishment is concerned, Joe Biden's decline is uh, actually better than all right. It's preferable. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Stefan Teisler or Teisler, who says, my sincerest thanks to Harry's razors for inspiring me to grow a beard. Yes, I, I think Harry's is doing that for a lot of people. If my inbox and my Twitter mentions are any indication uh, for our uh, discussion of the Harry's razor situation, you can check out yesterday's show. Always, always really uh, good to be prepared in, the ca- in case any sort of craziness happens. One great way to be prepared is to check out ReadyWise. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. Order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise products are proudly made in the U.S. of A. When preparing ReadyWise meals, all you need, four cups of water. The water doesn't even need to be hot. You just pour the food into the water, you stir, you cover. After about 15 minutes, the meal is ready. Some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch, eliminating the need for additional supplies. Very, very important to be prepared in the event of an emergency. If the past year hasn't taught you that, I can't help you, man. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta figure these things out. Okay. This week, my listeners can get 10% off at readywise.com when entering Knowles 10 at checkout or by calling 855-453-2945. Readywise has a 30 day, no questions asked return policy. So there is no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. Frankly though, you're not going to want to return it. You just want that peace of mind makes you feel a lot better. Sleep easy at night. Readywise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code Knowles10 to get 10% off. We do not know what is going on with Joe Biden. And it's always a, a little irksome, I think, when doctors diagnose patients from their armchairs rather than actually meeting with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ronnie Jackson is in politics too. So, okay. However, we don't need the former White House physician to tell us what we can all see plainly with our own eyes. Joe Biden is not the man that he once was. He would appear to be obviously in decline. And for the liberal establishment, that's perfectly fine. My interest in the Joe Biden is falling apart story is, you know, not, not so much any personal aspect of, of his own health. It's really what it means politically, which is that for, for a government, uh, for a political party that that favors administrative rule, that favors rule by technocrats and bureaucrats and lab coats like the exalted Dr. Fauci, it's actually a pretty, pretty helpful advantage to have a president who is willing to defer to all of the experts and the technocrats. This is something that the left has been pushing for now for over a hundred years, which is taking political decisions away from the people and the people's representatives members of Congress, senators, and even the president, taking those decisions away from them and the constitutional order and handing those decisions to experts, 
So you, you had a ton of Democratic candidates, John Ossoff, now a senator uh, in Georgia, and Joe Biden himself saying, I believe we should follow the science. You know, we need to follow the experts. Nobody elected Dr. Fauci to any office. Nobody elected any of these lab coats. So when you have the politicians just following blindly whatever the experts say to do, that is an inversion of the constitutional order. But what it gives the left is the end of debate. Because if, if you have a robust system of constitutional government where we're debating eternal questions and how we can pursue justice in the country and you know what the ends of government are going to be, when you have that, that system, then you have a, a legitimate realm of debate. But when you say, no, we're going to nix all of that, we're, we're going to have scientific government now, you, you totally shut yourself off from debate. No one is allowed to question Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is allowed to contradict himself day by day and hour by hour. That's perfectly fine. But none of us can ever question the exalted Dr. Fauci at any given point in time. Even if we hold views that two days from now, Dr. Fauci is going to hold, it is still not our right, according to the prevailing liberal orthodoxy, to question him. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked about, about President Biden's fall, and she uh, she danced around the question. Just checking on the president, he uh, fell going up the steps to Air Force One on Friday. Is he doing okay? He's a hundred percent fine. I don't know if you've been up those steps; they're a little tricky sometimes. But he's, <laughs> I'm not he's on Air doing Force great. One. I've not been up those. Um, uh, then, did he see a doctor? Did he have to see a doctor over it? Um, I'm not aware of that being required. There's, of course, a doctor who travels with the president, any president of the United States, but. Um, I, I'm not aware of it needing uh, actual extensive medical attention. Okay, great. And then on the border, of course. Mm -hmm. um, no. Was it no? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not trying to be. A, there's a doctor who travels with him. He, he was walking around, as you all saw, by the end of the day. So I, I'm just trying to be completely transparent. He's absolutely fine. Uh, as he was on Friday, was this weekend. He spent the weekend at Camp David. Look, I'm just trying to be totally transparent, and that's why I'm going to refuse to answer your question. The, the tell here, of course, is that they say, did, did Biden see a doctor? Jen Psaki's like, a doctor? I don't think it, it is needed to see a doctor. So well, that's kind of a weird way to phrase it. Did he see the doctor or not? Oh, well, you know, there, there is a doctor that travels. Yeah, right, lady, but can you just give me a straight answer? I'm just trying to be really transparent here. There are doctors. Doctors exist. Uh-huh. And you know, those steps are pretty tricky. Uh, no, no, they're not. They're steps. <laughs> all, all steps are exactly as tricky as all the other steps. <laughs> and uh, they're tricky for different people. And uh, it is a perfectly legitimate question to know about the health of our president. But it really doesn't matter. Did Joe Biden do anything this weekend? He was at Camp David. It, Joe Biden never needs to leave Camp David because the, the real people running our country are technocrats. And, and even the, the libs know this. The liberals admit this sort of thing. There was a video that was, it, it almost gave me a permanent cringe on my face. I, you know, when you're little and your mother says, don't cross your eyes or they're going to get stuck that way. The cringe was almost got permanently stuck to my face when I watched a video from the, the Try Guys about their favorite man in the country. Guys, he's like going to jump on in like one minute. I know, he's almost <laughs> here. I have the participant window open and I, I get to allow him to enter. It's weird, I'm going to be smiling because I'm just excited to see him. Some nervous energy. He's a busy man. He's doing lots of uh, world saving. We were 45 minutes early. <laughs> okay, ready? Did you see I'm admitting him right now. Here we go. 
Hey, hey, hi, hi guys, how you doing? Hi, Dr. Fauci. China's going to invade, right? Is that? That's the minute China sees that video, Xi Jinping should be like, you know, now, now is the time. <laughs> launch, launch the tanks because America ain't putting up a fight anymore. <laughs> that is really, really embarrassing stuff. Though in defense of these guys, I guess it's a comedy group that started at Buzzfeed. I think basically they're the voice of a generation and not only in the sort of less than masculine mannerisms and, uh, but also in the, in the worship of, the, of these technocrats. I mean, it's not just the, the try guys. Uh, Simon and Schuster is publishing a biography of Dr. Fauci. Okay. That I guess sort of makes sense. Uh, you know, at least it's plausible. There have been biographies written about less important people, but it's not, it's not an ordinary biography. It's a children's book. Simon and Schuster is releasing Dr. Fauci, How a Boy from Brooklyn Became America's Doctor by Kate Messner, illustrated by Alexandra Bai. Most uh, important biographies don't have illustrators to them, but a children's book is the absolute perfect genre for a Dr. Fauci biography for two reasons. One, Fauci's career would not stand up to the scrutiny of an adult biography. Fauci's last year would not stand up to the scrutiny of an adult biography. How many, how many things has Dr. Fauci gotten wrong just about this pandemic? How many times has Dr. Fauci misled the people intentionally by his own admission? during this pandemic. You remember early on, we don't even need to play the clips anymore. He says, do not wear a mask. There is no reason to wear a mask. Masks do not do anything other than step one or two droplets. Do not wear the mask. It's very dumb and silly. And then about five seconds later, he goes, of course you should wear a mask, but I told you not to so that the nurses would get them. He uh, Rand Paul said that he issues a lot of noble lies, you know, that, that Fauci believes he is the legitimate ruler. He's crafting public opinion. And so he's going to tell you things that he knows are not true sometimes because that's going to result in the behavior that he thinks, broadly speaking, would be better for society. He's a leftist social engineer. And so he, uh, you can't trust any particular thing that he says, but you have to trust his, his wonderful wisdom perfect for a children's book. So you can craft that narrative. And also because the left has a longstanding interest in indoctrinating children into specifically here, the cult of public health administration and more broadly into the, the cult of administrative government where we give up our rights and we just have the, the eggheads rule us. We know that the left is interested in that. That's why they've taken such an interest in education. I detail this in particular in my book, which is coming out soon, unless it gets canceled first, speechless controlling words, controlling minds, available for pre-order now. The left knows that if you can get at, at the children early enough, it's much easier to shape their views of the world. And that's why you're now seeing all sorts of crazy left-wing theories, including this new gender f- fad, not just in colleges, not just in high schools or middle schools, all the way in elementary schools. We've got some disturbing updates on that coming, coming later on. That, that is what 
the stakes of this are. So we think of, you know, this is Trump versus Biden. Not really. It's, it was Trump versus the liberal establishment, which includes all the bureaucrats and the schools and big tech and corporate America, which is buying into this in many ways, even worse than the schools are. It's, it's really not a battle between these two men or even two ideologies exactly, or two, two political programs. It's a battle between two very different visions of American government. And so there's some fighting on the right right now too about exactly what vision are we crafting, but it, it is a separate vision. And so the, the play here for the Dr. Fauci kid biographies is to indoctrinate students, not into one particular candidate over another, but into a vision of American government that is at odds with the traditional conservative vision. And, you know, they're really good at this. You know, I I would put my money on the left being very effective in these campaigns. And when I am putting my money on stuff, I head on over to my bookie. Whether you're a basketball fan or a fan of sports in general, you know that March is time for bracket season. And with my bookie, there is no shortage of opportunities to cash in. Participate in college bracket contests with jackpots all the way up to 50 G's. That's right. Five, zero, 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 or pick and choose your spots by betting the teams that you know best. Tournament games, championship futures, or in-game live betting. If you want action, my bookie has you covered. Everything from college and pro ball, mixed martial arts to entertainment prop bets, on U.S. politics. That's where I'm a little bit better, you know. Candace Owens to win the U.S. presidency in 2024. Is anyone going to bet on that? Who would bet against that? My bookie really gives you the chance to take social knowledge and turn it into cash in your wallet. Play smart, bet smart, and win big. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use promo code Knowles to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Make sure you use my promo code so that they know that I am the one who sent you over there. That promo code is K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Make sure you use that at MyBookie to claim your first deposit bonus. So you've got this giant liberal establishment that is really, they've gained a lot of power by taking positions of, of influence and now they're exerting that influence. Who can Republicans put up against that establishment? President Trump is a good person to ask about this. President Trump appeared on my friend Lisa Booth's show. It's called The Truth with Lisa Booth. What a great title. And he was asked about the future of the GOP. President Trump had a very, very interesting answer. Ron DeSantis is doing a really good job in Florida. And uh, I think Josh Hawley has, has shown some real uh, courage in going a- after big tech. You know, they go after him. Josh is terrific. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody that's been really terrific is Ted Cruz over the last, you know, he he and I had it out for a while. Actually, we were very close, even during the campaign. And then it got nasty. The press would say, when's the nastiness going to start? I said, don't worry, it'll start. And then it got very, very, you know, rather violent and vicious. Uh, but then it simmered down and, and he's been great. And uh, Rand Paul has been great. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, really a lot of people have been terrific. Uh, Sarah Huckabee is going to do great in Arkansas. Notice in his answer, he's, he's not saying, yeah, there are some Republicans, but you know, really me, I'm the future of the GOP. He is actually giving credit to allies of his and former opponents of his. His compliment of Cruz here, I think, is really telling because if Trump did not have to compliment Cruz, I don't know that he would. (laughs) As he says, they had a very tough primary battle in 2016. 
But he's saying, no, I think he's, he's actually just calling it like he sees it. He's saying, yeah, Ron DeSantis, he's doing good stuff in Florida. And uh, Hawley is doing some pretty good stuff in the Senate. And Cruz is doing, doing really great stuff. And he, he's giving the spotlight over a little bit to Republicans that he sees as being in the mold of, of where he thinks the Republican party should go. And in that MAGA movement that reinvigorated so, so many Republicans and even brought over a lot of people who previously would not have called themselves Republicans. So is Trump going to run in 2024? That's the question. He's being really nice to these people now. So it seems maybe he's actually going to help them out, but but ultimately, he's going to have to make this decision. Is he going to seek re-election? Trump gives some hints here that he may not. If you don't end up running in 2024, which I know a lot of people want you to, we all want you to, you know, if it's not you, who is it? So some of the names I guess I just mentioned, uh, perhaps, and uh, and others, and others. I mean, you know, there's a there's a pretty deep bench. Uh, we're gonna, I'll make that decision sometime later. But but there's a pretty deep bench. If you look at the polls, uh, but they love the job that I've done. We had a 97% approval, the CPAC, a 97% approval on policies and different things. So he's leaving the door open here, but that's a giant statement for President Trump to say. Yeah, the Republicans have a very deep bench. If President Trump were trying to set himself up to run in 2024, he, it would seem to me, would say, yeah, they got nobody. I'm their only chance. They have n- nobody else could do the job that we did. He gets in there. He says, look, I did a good job. People really like what I did, but he's going way further than, than I can, Im- certainly than I would have ever imagined President Trump to go and way further than a, a lot of Republicans would go if they were considering running he's saying there is a very deep bench. He's saying, he's not saying a deep bench of bad candidates. He's saying a deep bench of good candidates like DeSantis, like Cruz, like Hawley. I don't know if Hollywood, I guess he probably wants to run for president. Certainly DeSantis and Cruz are in a, are in a pretty good position. I think that's impressive stuff. Makes me think, you know, sort of sadly, I guess that president Trump may not run, but he he obviously still wants to be a player. He wants to direct the party, wants to direct the conservative movement. Speaking of deep benches, we now have a very, very deep bench of people who want to enter our country illegally. And they are all lining up at the border in record numbers. And criminals are making an absolute fortune off of them. Traffickers are bringing in men, women, and children across the border. It is now being reported that that these traffickers are making $14 million a day. Actually, they were making $14 million a day in February, and the situation has only gotten worse. So they're very likely making even more money than that. Former uh, Tucson Border Patrol Chief Voy, Roy Villarreal uh, is pointing out, he just recently gave an interview, he pointed out, trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry, billion with a B, and it's it's not letting up anytime soon. Some of it's paid up front out of life savings. Some of it is paid uh, once they arrive in the United States, and essentially they're indentured servitudes, and they're working off this debt for prolonged periods of time. So I, I mentioned his description here, just very brief description that these people, they save up, it's their life savings. They give it to these terrible criminals. Uh, the criminals will send them through. I just recently, I was in DC last night. We did an interview with Senator Cruz on verdict where he was describing some of, some of the violent, vicious tactics, the child abuse that these, these traffickers commit. I mean, really heinous stuff. You can listen to the episode for, I, I won't, I won't get into it here. 
and, and they do it to extort more money out of these desperate people. That is a situation that is being encouraged by Joe Biden. It's a situation being encouraged by the Democrats because the Democrats know that the more people that they can cram into this country illegally, the better chance they have of winning elections because down the line, either through amnesty or through the birthright citizenship of their children, statistically, they're very likely to get more voters that way. And if HR1, which uh, Scott Walker calls the Crooked Politicians Act, if that is pushed through the House and Senate, then uh, you could have millions of illegal voters voting even before the amnesty. Uh, that's what they're willing to do to, to encourage this horrific system. All, all of which now is, is giving more and more power to some of the worst criminal elements in society. Somehow though, I'm sure this will be blamed on white supremacy. You know, it has to be blamed on white supremacy. <laughs> Because everything is blamed on white supremacy these days. Uh, the, the, that horrible shooting in Atlanta at the massage parlor, uh, that was blamed on white supremacy. The anti-Asian attacks more broadly being blamed on white supremacy. There was some hit piece about me. There's always some hit piece about me. But from one of the media matters or one of, one of the leftist uh, attack groups saying that uh, if you ever make a joke, any kind of joke about the Wu flu, you know, you call it Kung flu or Lung Pao Sicken or or uh, any of those sorts. Chop fluey was the one, or, uh, you know, any of the other. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that many of the very funny terms are escaping my, my memory right now, uh, but that that is perpetuating anti-white or anti-Asian bigotry and white supremacy. And the thing is, the numbers just, just don't show that. Uh, Ryan Jurdusky has a great, great piece on this in the Washington Examiner. According to the Justice Department, uh, 27.5% of all violent crimes against Asian Americans in 2018 were committed not by white people. They were committed by black people. Over 50,000 incidents in a single year uh, and uh, disproportionate to the, the percentage of uh, uh, black people in the country. White criminals and Asian criminals each accounted for 24.1% of all attacks on Asians that year. Uh, and uh, so therefore Asian attackers and white attackers are underrepresented in uh, violent crime uh, it, relative to the, their pr proportion of the population. In uh, 2019, Asians made up 6.2% of the population, but commit, uh, committed just 1% of the violent crime. And uh, white people, 62% of the population, but commit 50% of violent crime. So it's, it's not to say that there's any, any one group is committing all the violent crime against Asians. But when you're talking specifically about this issue of anti-Asian crime, it is very clear the issue ain't white supremacy. And, and the, the idea of white supremacy is being pushed uh, simply to have a, uh, a scapegoat, simply to have an explanation that would jive with political correctness, even though it has nothing to do with it. There was a, a gal who took to TikTok, as all of our brilliant philosophers do these days, <laughs> and uh, she, she made this point that I'm I am sure is being taught in corporate America and the schools, which is that even non-white people, when they commit crimes, can be doing so because of whiteness. Just a reminder that whiteness can still be the culprit, even if a hate crime is committed by another minority. White supremacy has many mouthpieces. Don't underestimate that. White supremacy has many mouthpieces, including all the racial minorities attacking other racial minorities because they don't realize that deep secretly their motivation is their, how white they are 
underneath their actual race and motivations or something like that. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it, it's just the end of argument, right? There, it, that gal is, is not making an argument and I don't blame her. I'm sure she was indoctrinated into this uh, through m- much of our culture. This idea that no matter what the facts are, you have to blame whiteness or the patriarchy. And it's unfalsifiable and there is no debate because there is no, there is not one piece of evidence that you could ever present to someone espousing that argument that would change their mind about it. The argument that whiteness and patriarchy or whatever are the cause of all the problems, that is not the conclusion of people who have been thinking about this issue. That's the premise. That's, that's the hammer. <laughs> and therefore, every other problem in society looks a whole lot like a nail. Speaking of weapons, uh, you should check out Ben talking about gun control uh, today. He'll be talking about calls for, for gun control, a mass shoot, that mass shooting in Colorado. So go check out, go check out Ben's show today. Also, if you haven't heard by now, Candace Owens has a brand new talk show with us exclusively at dailywire.com. The full show uh, will be available to Daily Wire members only. Candace also has a podcast that you can listen to on Apple, Spotify, a- anywhere else you get your podcasts. The Candace podcast features sh- several breakout segments from the full-length show. This includes interviews, panel discussions, and her advice corner. The podcast is so good, in fact, that it reached number two on the Apple podcast chart just after the first episode. So if you need some Candace Owens in your podcast feed, look no further. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe today. Be sure to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. And make sure you tune in this week. I hear that Candace is going to have a really, really terrific guest this week. So that's all I'll say. But make sure you tune in. Head on over to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. The Biden administration is trying to downplay the crisis at the border, at which many members of that administration spent years haranguing Trump for. Now they called Trump's policies, human rights violations, all that sort of thing. And then what does Biden do? He actually makes those policies much, much worse and broadens them out to a much, much wider scale. So the only way that they can get around this is by using euphemisms. They're, they're trying to redefine reality by redefining the words. That's why when Jen Psaki slipped up the other day uh, and called this a crisis, it was a big problem. Jen Psaki is, is trying to refer to this in the most measured terms she can. She's saying that there are children presenting at the border. Now that the public is seeing some of the images because the congressional delegation provided some photos and descriptions about what they witnessed, children who are frightened and crying, overcrowded conditions. Now that the public has seen that, is that not a crisis? And what conditions or situations, what metrics would have to be in place for the administration to call it that? Well, children uh, presenting at our border who are fleeing violence, who are fleeing prosecution, who are fleeing terrible situations is not a crisis. Okay, hold on. Let's, uh, the, the verb presenting here is pretty strange. It, what, what does that mean? They're presenting at the border? They're, no, they're being smuggled across the border by vicious criminals that the Biden administration is empowering, and they're o- often being abused along the way. 
But fine, let's mealy mouth language aside. She's saying that is a very sad, terrible, awful thing. And therefore it's not a crisis. First of all, where did I hear that this was a crisis? Jen, can you remind me where I heard that this might be a crisis at the border? There have been expectations set outside of uh, unrelated to uh, any vaccine doses or requests for them that they would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border. Oh, all right. It was Jen Psaki. <laughs> we got to circle back to what Jen said yesterday because she admitted that it was a crisis. Now she realized, oh, I can't admit that it's a crisis because that really makes us look bad. So I'm going to say, hey, you know, if something's really sad, then that's not a crisis. doesn't make any sense. Would you say this? Let's say there was some genocide. You say that the gen, how dare you call the genocide a crisis? It's a very sad thing and it's a humanitarian issue. Yeah, I guess that's all true. It's also a crisis. One does not negate the other, but they're not making arguments. It's, it's like the TikTok girl, the t- that TikTok girl talking about whiteness is going to be a spokesman for the Democratic Party soon enough, <laughs> or somebody espousing the same ideas because they're not making arguments. They're just redefining words or, and I'm sorry, they're not mutually exclusive, presuming their own conclusions, right? This is, this is what begging the question means. It's when you assume as, a, as the starting point, the conclusion of your own argument. So when people say, hold on, you know, disproportionately, these crimes against Asian people are not being committed by white people, but you're blaming it on white supremacy. So therefore, it, you, you have to be wrong about that. If, mo, if disproportionately, the people attacking Asians are not white people, then it, it, it follows that white supremacy can't be the root cause here. And what that TikTok gal said is, it is. Yeah, it, you, people, maybe they don't know it, but deep down, deep, deep down, it always, it always is white supremacy. That's not an argument. That's just, it's like a cudgel. That's just, just like a, a robot could say that just on and on and on. You would, you could never make any sense of it because they are going to cling to that, to that belief, regardless of the evidence. This sort of thing is, is especially true in the area of, of sex, the, the way that the left is presuming their own absolutely incoherent conclusions, and they won't hear anything about it. There was a a journalist, Kate Sozin, who I had never heard of, but uh, she came out and tweeted a couple of days ago. She said, it is totally okay to have debate and disagree, but, and there you go, there's that but, that but, you know that but is going to negate whatever she just said, and it does. It's totally okay to have debate and disagree, but folks in media, the term biological males is a serious anti-trans slur. You should not use it without noting that. Biological males is an anti-trans slur. This is what's happening. I think this is why, you know, uh, Harry's Razors came out and publicly attacked me and this show and our listeners by saying that if if you question the current transgender ideology, that you're a condemnable, inexcusable. These are views totally beyond the pale. And I think the reason that so many people have reacted to that and is why even we had to come out and say, look, if you can cancel an ad campaign, it's fine. We, it doesn't bother us at all. But when you come out and attack us for holding perfectly mainstream views and you attack our listeners 
then we have to speak up. And I think the reason people reacted so much, I, there were even some people who wrote in and said, I don't even listen to Michael Knowles, but are you kidding me, folks? We got, I got to cancel my subscription. Uh, it, it's because they see that the, the window of acceptable speech is being shrunk down basically to nothing. Where now, if you use the phrase biological male, you're going to be accused of bigotry. I actually, in a way, agree with this woman's advice to not use the phrase biological male, but I, I agree obviously for very different reasons. I don't like it when conservatives use the phrase biological male. I think it's giving away the whole debate to the left. I think it is a way of, of ceding ground to the politically correct radicals. And I think conservatives have done that for, for a very long time, often for fine motives or, or maybe because they're being clever in their arguments. But ultimately the effect of that, as I detail in Speechless in my upcoming book, is that we just lose ground constantly. There, there is no biological male as distinct from any other kind of male. There's boys and girls, men and women. When we say there's a biological male, we're implying that someone can be a biological male, but psychologically a woman. No, not possible. A biological male, but spiritually a woman. No, it's not possible. There are ancient heresies that posit this understanding of human nature, but they're just not true. There, it's, it is not possible that you're, to, uh, it is not true rather, that your body and your soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it are totally separate. They're not. Human beings are a unity of body and soul. The technical term for this is the, is hylomorphism. Okay. And it's, it means we're not, when the libs say that we're just meat puppets, you know, we're all just matter, whatever, all our hopes and dreams and loves are just, they're just kind of pistons, pistons firing off. And it, it's really just a, a chemical illusion and delusion. They're wrong. And when people say that our bodies have nothing to do with our, who we really are and that, you know, I can be a guy, but deep down on some metaphysical level, I'm actually a woman. They're wrong too. The, the true view of human nature is that we are body and soul inextricably linked here on earth. It's not bigoted to say that. Ar Aristotle is not a bigot. St. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, not a bigot. The, the greatest philosophers and people who have thought about these questions, not bigots for saying that, and neither are you for saying it. But this crazy ideology is really taking over. There is now a, a man who just won a woman's beauty pageant. Not just a biological male, a man, because that's, that's what he is. Cataluna Enriquez made history by becoming the first out transgender woman ever to win the Miss Silver State USA beauty pageant, which is Nevada's largest preliminary competition. Chalk another one up to the patriarchy. That guy beat all those ladies and took their crown and took their tiara. That's progress for you, folks. Uh, now, because uh, Mr. Enriquez won the beauty pageant. He will go on to compete in the Miss Nevada USA pageant. If he wins that, he'll compete for Miss USA. And if he wins that, he'll compete for Miss Universe. This is just wrong. <laughs> it's, I don't know how else to put it. I hope this guy has a good life. I hope he figures out the, the problems that are, are uh, plaguing him. But the solution to his problems is not to pretend that human nature is other than it is. And the solution to his problems is not to take tiaras away from women competing in beauty pageants. And the solution to the problems of men who want to 
who identify as women who want to compete in women's sports is not to take away the scholarships from the women and to take away the trophies from the women. It's to tell the truth. The underlying premise here is that lies are compassionate and that the truth is cruel. And if we if we tell these men who think that they're women, there aren't very many of them. And I think really it's just this ideology is being pushed more by cynical political opportunists than by people who actually suffer from this themselves. But what they're saying is if we tell these men the truth about their nature, then that will be an act of great cruelty. And so we can't do that. And we need to totally reorder society and take things away from women and pretend that the world is other than it is so that we can lie to these men because that will be compassionate. Lies are not compassionate and the truth is not cruel. The truth will set you free. This is now being pushed on children. There was, this is the most disturbing commercial I've ever seen. I have a little series on my YouTube channel of woke commercials where we try to guess what product the woke commercials are selling. This one I wouldn't, I wouldn't do as a separate woke commercial breakout video. It's too disturbing for that. Uh, but we do have to cover it because it, the, the issue really matters. This is a commercial from Pantene, the, the shampoo company, uh, n- now defending, mainstreaming the sexual abuse of children in, in a, a commercial in which uh, two lesbian women dress a boy up, a little boy up as a little girl and insist that the boy really is a girl. Take a listen. So you've got this woman blow drying the little boy's now long hair. It's how you are seen. Sawyer is an old soul. She is our uh, spunky and creative kiddo. Sawyer also happens to be a transgender girl. So I says this woman. The first time she was out in the community wearing the clothing she wanted in her hair, and she kind of was herself. And that was the first day where I saw her. Pause it right there. Pause it right there. First of all, I don't know how these lesbian women came to have custody of this girl. Something tells me they didn't make her the old fashioned way. I'm sorry. See how confusing this is? I don't know how these lesbian women came to have custody of this boy that they are now dressing up as a girl and insisting is a girl. And I am certain that they they did not make him the old-fashioned way. This raises other political and social questions. But what this woman just said is so awful. This woman said, yeah, I took my little boy out and dressed him up as a girl. And, and, And that's when she was herself. When we pretended that the little boy was a little girl, That's finally when she was herself. And then here's the kicker. And that was the first day where I saw her. So this woman is saying that this child, however she came to be raising this child, that this woman didn't, didn't see the child when the little boy was still dressing like a little boy. Only when the little boy allowed this woman to dress him up as a little girl, only then did this woman see the child and accept the child. Keep going. She has always been super gender creative. Pause. Gender creative. She has always been super gender creative. So obviously that's a term that doesn't mean anything. Just, I suppose it could mean confused. But what what do we mean always? From, From the time that the little boy was a very little baby, when the little boy didn't have agency, when the little boy was so suggestible to all the, all the influences around him. 
Was that him being gender creative or was that these women with a very radical view of sexuality imposing that view on this young boy? Keep going. Been a big part of her transition. Once she told us that she identified as a girl, she immediately wanted to grow her hair out. It made me feel good and confident and it made my insides match my outsides. All right, I can't take any more. Pause it there. I, if you want to watch the rest of the commercial, you can, though I wouldn't recommend it. So they've got this, this little boy, and they've put this little boy on camera and said, okay, that's what you're going to say. We've got the whole studio set up here. Talk about how now your insides are matching your outsides, right? This is, this is not an organic moment. <laughs> you don't set up a film shoot organically. That's not how these things are edited or cut. This is a obvious, not just contrived in the sense that parents and educators are contriving, you know, and indoctrinating views onto children, but, but even the whole film set here. And what is so crazy, the, the, politically, the reason I, I mentioned this is because it's all to sell shampoo. It's all to sell shampoo. If this is what capitalism is, I'm out. I'm out. Get me out of there. Okay. But of course this is not, frankly, the word capitalism is kind of silly. So it's a word that was popularized by Karl Marx. But I think this should show conservatives who are waking up to these questions now that there are immoral things that can happen in the the free marketplace. That free markets are wonderful. I love free markets. Free markets are a means to an end, which is a good society, right? That's what societies are always pursuing the good, human flourishing. And those markets can be perverted and lead society down perverse ends. These women, what they are doing and and how they are abusing this child should be criminal. This should not be legal. They should be in prison for this in a just society. And and Pantene Pro-V or whatever the, you know, whatever the product is, should not only be ashamed of itself, should not only be boycotted, this sort of thing should not be permitted. I think a lot of conservatives are waking up now to say, oh, right, we, we love markets in their proper place, but we need guardrails on society or the society that we talk about, oh, we love free markets, we love big businesses. It's going to eat itself. It's going to undermine itself. Capitalism, corporate America is going to become the biggest vessel for radical wokeism, radical leftism that is going to totally subvert the culture unless we conserve something beyond low tax rates. Really, really spooky stuff. Speaking of weird sex stuff, I have to get to the most important story of our, of our day. Teen Vogue. I have assiduously avoided reading about the Teen Vogue saga, editors being fired and claims of racism and thisism and thatism, but it, it actually shows us something about the cancel culture and these, these kind of drastically political visions that the left and right are putting forward. So Alexei McCammond was ultimately forced out over a series of anti-Asian tweets that she published almost 10 years ago when McCammond was 17 years old. So now she's 26, 27, running Teen Vogue and uh, these tweets come out of something she tweeted when she was a teenager, and now she's losing her job because of that. I don't know what the tweets were, if they were jokes or whatever. Certainly, I, I don't think that adults should be going around 
you know, flagellating themselves for things they did when they were teens. And frankly, even in their early 20s, you know, when people are young and doing stupid things, I just don't think that a decade later that should, that should cost you your job. But she left. She goes, my past tweets have overshadowed the work I've done to highlight the people and issues that I care about, issues that Teen Vogue has worked tirelessly to share with the world. And so Condé Nast and I have parted ways. That's the first part of the story. Then Christine Davitt, who is Teen Vogue's social media manager, she was celebrating this. It seems that Davitt was one of the forces sort of pushing this idea that the, the editor should resign. So Davitt is now in some hot water of her own over tweets and social media posts. Davitt, who calls herself a quote, queer, fat, Philippinks femme in Brooklyn. I, I don't know. I, I know what like three of those words mean. Brooklyn. I know what Brooklyn is. <laughs> uh, so that's how she describes herself in her Instagram bio. Uh, she has some old posts up in which she used the N-word, the word that you are not allowed to say. It's like the only word now in the English language that you are not permitted to say. She said it. Uh, this is according to a report from Fox News that the, uh, the New York Post cited. She referred at least twice to a friend who would appear to be white as the N-word in 2009, 2009, 12 years ago. And the next year, she used that word in a joke tweet. So now she's got to go too. She's got to go too. Everyone has got to go too. Now, before I defend any of these people, which I am not really doing or I'm doing so very reluctantly, I just want to point out, Teen Vogue is absolute degenerate filth that should be canceled Speaking of things that should not be permitted into the hands of children, Teen Vogue right up there. Just just some uh, really, really uh, helpful journalism that Teen Vogue has published. We have a guide to sodomy, how-tos, tips, and more. How to do it the right way. The right way. Uh, you know, we, one could say many things about that. Uh, certainly, however, whatever your views on sex, I think we ought to all be able to agree, uh, this should not be in the hands of like 12 year old girls or 13 year old girl. That's probably like a bad, right? That's not a good thing. If you, if you need a, to show an ID to go buy a playboy, probably you should have to show an ID to buy this trash. Another article, how to get an abortion. If you're a teen, it can be tricky. It should be tricky. It should be very, tr- it should be illegal actually. And, uh, publications that give people advice on how to do that should just not be permitted. It's not an abridgment of the First Amendment to say that you need an ID to buy a Playboy. It's not an abridgment of the First Amendment to say that you need an ID to buy Teen Vogue. And frankly, I think you should, uh, maybe the age limit there should be what, like 72, 73, something like that. In any case, I I think it's trash. I'm, I'm in no way defending Teen Vogue. However, with regard to what these girls are alleged to have done, I think it would be better if we lived in a culture where people did not lose their livelihoods and careers for for jokes they made when they were teenagers. I think that would be better. Who has never said or done anything that they regret? Anybody? You ever tell a joke ever in your whole life that if it were printed on the cover of the New York Times might not reflect well on you? especially in 2021. Yeah. You ever do that? Anybody? Oh, everybody. Oh, 100%. Exactly every single person has done that. Ever tell a joke that maybe 
might be considered in bad taste. Really? Oh, every single person. There's no end to this sort of thing. And the political point here is that revolutions tend to eat their own. That's what they do. They are like the devil in this way. I was just recently rereading Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which is this book of, you know, written by one demon to his nephew demon about how to tempt people and bring them to the devil. And something that you, you begin to realize as the letters progress is that when, when they talk about love, the love that we have for one another in the true sense of that word, love is willing the good of the other. I love my wife in a different way than I love a delicious hoagie. I love a delicious hoagie in the sense that I want to consume the hoagie. <laughs> and this, this is the way that demons desire and love. It's, it's, a, it's a desire to consume, not a desire to will the good of the other, but a desire to, to consume, to eat, to destroy. That's how this cancel culture is going to end up. That's how political correctness ends up. The whole point of political correctness is destruction. It's not about building anything else up. Goes all the way back to a line from Karl Marx where he said that, that radicals must embark on the ruthless criticism of all that exists. Critical theory developed largely out of these schools of thought. Now we talk about a lot about crit- critical race theory. What's the theory? The theory is to criticize. You can criticize anything. You can tear anything down. The late philosopher Roger Scruton said, it's much easier. It's a point that many people have made. It's much easier to tear things down than to build them up. And the job of radicals is to tear, tear, tear down. And the job of conservatives is to preserve things and to try to build those things up again. That's what we are trying to do here. And our, our ability to do that is, is being taken from us. The idea that we can debate and persuade our fellow citizens, that idea is being constricted and decisions are being exported to other people because of theories that make an idol out of administrative government, theories that make an idol out of eggheads, theories that make an idol out of economics for that matter, and out of the marketplace. In a way, sort of the flip side of the coin that you see with socialists. We can't do that. We need all of these things in their right place. And we need to be pursuing the good, (laughs) justice, the end of government, as Madison told us. Otherwise, we're just going to lose the whole thing. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, another mass shooting rocks Colorado. Joe Biden continues to lock kids in cages while keeping the border open. And Democrats aren't done yet. They're calling for an end to the filibuster. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.